0: Yes. 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 Yes,. yes. yes Lord. Would you take your neighbor's hand, please? I haven't talked to George Roycroft, probably since high school. George is my brother. We went to high school together at Mount St. Joseph in Baltimore. And just because we haven't spoken in 20, 30 years, doesn't make him any less my brother. And if you would pray with me for George, I woke up the other morning and looked at Facebook to find that George's son, Markel William Roycroft, died. George, a father, lost his son. And as we are in memory of Elijah Cummings, Diane Carroll, and Kane Hope Felder that rocks our community, we also have to be in remembrance of those who lose people in their homes. It's not the right direction that a father or a mother would lose their child. Let's pray. God, all we ask is that you be a bomb in the Roycroft household. God, we lift up George and his wife right now, God. Most of us have no idea what it's like to lose a child especially when mental illness is a cause. So we lift them up right now, God. And as one family, united by the touch of our hands, God, there is someone praying for George. God, we ask that you would place yourself, take your presence and put it in George's household right now. Gird them up as they mourn. God, your word says that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So we ask your comfort and your love right now for the Roycroft family. And as one people of God, those who are touching one another's hand, let us say amen. 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 It hurt me to my heart to hear that George lost his son, Markel. In the absence of Pastor Wesley, and in the presence of the ministerial staff and the deacon board, I greet you and say thank you for this opportunity. I've had the pleasure of being behind this sacred desk any number of times, but I don't take it for granted the opportunity to be here and be in front of you and have this time, one with the Lord in prayer and in writing and reading and in studying prior to coming here, but also right now in this presence, I say thank you. For those who are able, if you would uh, please stand as we read the word of God The scripture for today comes from the book of Mark. The gospel according to Mark in the seventh chapter and 24th through 30th verses. I'll be reading from the New International Version, the NIV. That's Mark 7, 24 through 30. It's in this place that we'll see that Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it yet he could not keep his presence a secret in fact as soon as she heard about him a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the little dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon had gone. You may be seated. If you would take for a title or a theme for this message something that I lifted from Jay-Z and Kanye West on their Watch the Throne album. If you would take for a title no church in the wild no church in the wild when i was a little kid about 10 or 11 years old i my mother would get me out of the house in the summertime by sending me to a camp outside of gettysburg pennsylvania there was a baltimore city school principal who ran this camp, it was a little farm called Experience in Country Living. There were several acres, one house that we weren't allowed to go into that was hers, and two small dormitories, one for the boys and another for the girls. The boys had no bathroom, but the girls had one. So when we had to go to the restroom, we had to leave out of our little dormitory walk very scared as I was 10 or 11 in the dark across the little field to the dormitory, knock on the door to make sure no one was in there to be able to use the lavatory. This was a small experience in country living. It was there that I was introduced to something that most of you who know me um, would understand. I was introduced to hip hop. There were some kids from the Bronx, New York, who went to this camp outside of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and they brought with them hip hop. I learned party on the dance floor, party people want more, time to get down with the treacherous three. Special K, NLA, sunshine, and the coolest of the cool Moe I could go on. (laughs) Here we go, here we go. Here we go, here we go, here we, here we, here we go. DMC and DJ, I could go on. It was there that I learned to love hip hop. In 1981 and 82 and 83 it was at this camp that I displayed my prowess for swimming for riding bikes it was riding a bike that I learned that I had athletic induced asthma on a long trip riding up a hill on my red huffy bike and I had to stop and make the entire crew that was with us walk because I was wheezing it was there at this camp though that I fell in love with hip-hop if Sanaa Lathan were to be here and reprise her role as Sydney Shaw on Brown Sugar and ask me the question as she was an interviewer, when did you first fall in love with hip hop? It would be this memory that I just described to you as my answer. I could have been Boris Kojo. I could have gotten up there and said, you know, Sanaa Sydney, this is when I first fell in love with hip hop. And she could have written about me in XL. <laughs> Part of what I enjoy about the art form, it's its ability to provide a sometimes critical analysis of situations and circumstances folks find themselves in on a daily basis. On one level, rap music is some type of New York Times op Ed, piece uh, artfully crafted to driving bass lines with a DJ scratching in the background. It would take melodies and beats from all types of different artists whether it was jazz or the blues or R&B or even other hip-hop songs and create a meld of music while a lyricist would prophesy what was going on during the day. This Is what hip hop music is. It went from talking about the drugs in the streets and the hard times that people had with the Cold Crush Brothers and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. And it moved on to talking about how the crack epidemic started sweeping the streets and people like um, N.W.A. and Ice Cube and Biggie started uh, selling drugs and doing things. Hip-hop just had this, this experience then moved forward and talked about the times. And if you really follow hip-hop, if you follow rap music, you'll be able to see the trends in the music as it talked about the news of the day in the wild streets. It was around 2011 when Jay-Z and Kanye West dropped a collaborative album before their riff split them apart. It was around this time that they dropped their album, Watch the Throne. If you're a theologian, you can make all types of assertions to how Hove, short for Jehovah, uh, tried to create himself as a God MC. You could see in, in the music of Watch the Throne, how Ye and Hove put together their music. And it was on No Church in the Wild that I really listened to what the music meant and what it was saying and it gave me some type of theological thought to think about and scripture that we could find ourselves in. When Frank Ocean began, human beings in a mob, what's a mob to a king? What's a king to a god? What's a god to a non-believer who don't believe in anything? Will he get out alive? All right, all right, no church in the wild. When you listen to the music, you can put this ecclesiastical setting in a non-ecclesiastical art form and make sense of it in a way that brings meaning to people who come to church but live outside of it. Hip-hop and the church are not one, but can be. There's no difference, hear me, there's no difference between the sacred and the profane. When you hear the profane, understand that God brought light to darkness and so when you see the profane look for the sacred inside of it in our scripture Jesus encounters a Canaanite woman a Syrophoenician woman who needs something from him Let's paint a little backdrop here so we can understand about this chance encounter, which could possibly provide some insight and clarity into this unexpected rendezvous. Jesus and his disciples had just completed a ministry assignment in Gennesaret, along the Sea of Galilee, where people throughout the region came with their sick, their loved ones, so that they could be healed by merely having a touch of the garment of Jesus. People came and wanted to just have a touch of the garment of Jesus to receive healing from all manner of sickness. Having gone on mission assignments myself in other continents, I can imagine the exhaustion uh, Jesus must have felt at the seemingly endless throng of people reaching and grabbing and pulling at him just for a touch from the master. While there and in the midst of the huddle masses, the Pharisees and the scribes made their way from Jerusalem to question the jostled and exhausted Jesus. They inquired about why, this is so petty, this is so petty. The Pharisees and the scribes questioned Jesus about why the disciples did not wash their hands before eating bread. He wanted, they wanted to know why they didn't put some hand sanitizer on their hands before they broke the little pieces of bread and ate. They were so petty. If I don't wash my hands before I eat, it's my business. Leave me alone. So Jesus replied and quipped back to them, delivering a parable of the impurity of their vain worship to the pompous and erudite religious leaders. And this stumped them and offended the Hebrew elite. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about when he said that their worship was in vain in the way that they performed it. Nonetheless, these petty folks, petty, petty folks were offended by the words of Jesus. So Jesus did like Rakim when he said, I ain't no joke, I used to let the mic smoke. Now I slam it when it's done and make sure it's broke. Jesus dropped the mic. And went off to Tyre and Sidon, about a 30 mile journey from where he was outside of Jerusalem. And so, upon Jesus entering this new area of Tyre and Sidon, this unnamed Canaanite woman accosted the Lord Jesus, shouting at him. And if we look at the text, we can imagine that this woman was lying in wait for Jesus to come. is there ever been a time when you've lied in wait where you've lain in wait for jesus to come if there hasn't been maybe there ought be because there have been struggles and things that we have gone through in life that we can't handle on our own that we have to say jesus i'm waiting on you i'm hurting my family is sick My child is dying. Jesus, I wait on you. Jesus was tired. I know we want to say that Jesus was very God, that Jesus was divine, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus was a man. He was tired. I doubt he had any bread after these petty folks were talking about why these folks ain't washed their hands before eating bread. Anybody gets so angry, so kind of ticked off, even right before you eat, that you can't even eat anymore? (laughs) It's funny how anger will do that to your stomach. Just close it right up. So he takes off on a 30-mile road trip by feet. The Bible doesn't say he was on camelback or horse. He wasn't in his Kia or his Hyundai. He wasn't even in his Honda Accord as the joke would go with his disciples. On foot, 30 miles, and possibly an empty stomach, Jesus gets accosted by an unnamed Canaanite woman. And the first words that she says to him is really a prayer of sorts. Have mercy on on me, Lord, Son of David my daughter is tormented by a demon we have to know church that there are people out there who are just lying and waiting for the lord to come by there are people who do not follow our doctrines they don't know our church polity they don't know how we dress when we come to church but there are people out there who are waiting to come in the doors of alfred street baptist church lying and waiting to touch the garment of Jesus Christ. But lo and behold, there's a prayer on their lips and they are waiting for us to come by. They are waiting to see the Christ in us be activated so a miracle can happen. And I can't imagine what went through this woman's mind when Jesus ignored her. I wonder if she was deflated, disappointed, devastated, or depressed. Maybe she felt that way before Jesus showed up on the scene because of the length of time it probably was that she was dealing with her her, uh, demon-depressed and possessed daughter. I'm sure she was dealing with the voices of people in the community saying, nah, 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 your daughter is demon-possessed. Don't bring her around me, ew, I don't wanna touch her. Your daughter is demon-possessed. I'm trying to get her in school. No, your daughter is demon-possessed. Can my kid play with your kid? No, your daughter is demon-possessed. I'm sure she was going through so much while she waited for Jesus to come but here's this woman who knew that he was the messiah She had a revelation of who Jesus was. I'm sure she had seen the breaking news on CNN that Jesus had just healed the sick in Gennesaret. She probably got a text from the one or two people that loved her saying that Jesus had healed the sick in Capernaum. I'm sure that she saw it, that Jesus had cast out demons on the Sabbath. The Twitter page probably blew up when Jesus had raised the dead daughter of another person. So I'm sure that this non-Jew, this Gentile woman was lying in wait with the hopes that Jesus would show up in the same way for her daughter that Jesus had shown up for others. If Jesus can do it for you, I believe deep in my heart that Jesus can do it for me. When you share your testimony, when you tell me all that you've been through, when you tell me your struggles, when you tell me your hurts and pains, and then you tell me what the Lord has done, that the Lord has been on your side, I believe it for myself. I receive it for myself. All I know is that everything else that I've tried didn't work. So I might as well try Jesus. I heard a preacher say one time, if you're not Christian, if you don't believe, if you are atheist or agnostic, if you are this thing or that thing, try Jesus. Just for six months, write down what you're going through today. Give it a good, earnest try. Pray a little bit. Talk to some other Christians. Read your Bible. If you're that person, try Jesus for just six months. Try him just for a little while. And in six months, show me the receipts. In six months, write down where your life is. This was the hope that the Syrophoenician woman carried with her. Surely he could do the same for her daughter. But Jesus ignored her. No one can know what Jesus was thinking in this moment. The disciples uh, wanted to take her away out of the presence of the teacher. But she came again and exclaimed, Lord, help me. Help me. This woman knows that there is a pariah in her house and thusly in the community. Uh, This demon had manifested itself inside this woman's child, her daughter in whom the hope of a mother and a generation is embodied. A child represents hope. A demon-possessed child can damage hope. This Syrophoenician Canaanite woman is pleading for the hope of her future. I know we have hopes for generations after us. We have hope for our communities. We wanna do something about it, but there are whispers in our ears wanting to somehow ease the problem away without doing anything about it. If you allow me some leeway here, it was Jesus's church people, his very own disciples whispering in his ear, asking if he wanted them to take the woman away and send her back to the harsh, brutal, nasty, violent, wild that she came from. So how is it that this woman knew Jesus? The foundation of the church would be there in the wild where she lives. How do we know that there is A church in the wild. First, we have to perceive the presence of Jesus. We have to perceive the presence of Jesus. Jesus' fame and notoriety had grown to the extent that people were gathering in droves to hear him speak and teach. Word of Jesus feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing all manners of sickness, healing people who had just touched his garments, raising the dead and calming storms, had made its way from Jude- Jerusalem and Judea in the south all the way up to Tyre and Sidon in the north. His very presence caused people to come and see what this Jesus was all about. The people witnessed this Galilean confounding and frustrating the religious elite and word of his coming preceded his arrival like a tidal wave. Even when Jesus sought to find some solitude and move away from the throngs of his Jewish brethren, his presence was perceived even among pagan Gentiles. This very scripture tells us that Jesus attempted to to conceal his whereabouts and keep his location and presence a secret. So please note here that Jesus' mission, what God sent him to do, was not to come to the Gentiles. That was not what Jesus was supposed to do. In Matthew's version of this story, Jesus even tells the disciples who urged him to send her away that he was only sent here to the sheep of the house of Israel. Okay? And so we have to remember that it was Jesus who commissioned his disciples to go to all the nations. Jesus was not here for the Gentiles. His disciples, that was their mission. But in spite of his attempts at anonymity, Jesus's presence was perceived. When your presence is in the right place, your ministry will have an impact on the people. When Alfred Street's presence is in the right place, we will have an impact on the people. You have to see like this woman saw. When we get to a place where we believe, we have no leverage in our situation, we find ourselves in a very lonely and quiet and desolate place. It's in that very quiet place where we can finally hear that still small voice of God whispering to our spirit and even to our psyche. It's right there where we begin to hear and understand the call of God on our lives. And that allows us to perceive the presence of Jesus. It's in that lonely place where all attempts at fixing our problems have failed that we finally perceive the presence of the Lord. And it's in his presence where there is fullness of joy. It's in his presence that's where I belong. In his presence, that's where I am strong. We must perceive his presence. After we have perceived his presence, our second point is that we must persistently push to get there. We must persistently push to get there. Why was it so important for this woman to persistently push to get to Jesus? Number A, she was a woman. You have to understand that in Jesus's day, women were regarded as social outcasts, not only in the community, but also in religious circles. According to writer Tim Keller, being a woman meant social inferiority, religious marginality, and political inequality, letter two. She was a Greek, a Gentile, a Syrophoenician woman. In other words, she was a mixed race, non-Jew female who was obviously from the wrong side of the tracks. She was from the wild. This woman uh, has two strikes against her, and yet, She's the first person in the entire gospel of Mark to hear and understand the parable of Jesus. Even his disciples said, Lord, what? What that mean? But this woman understood this parable of Jesus. And being located Close to Jerusalem, being entire inside in Sidon, she understood Jewish Hebrew culture. She knew that she couldn't even approach a Jew. She knew especially she couldn't approach a rabbi. But she knew if there would be any hope of healing her daughter, she needed to persistently push past her wrong-gendered, mixed-race ethnicity, persistently pushed past the disciples who urged Jesus to send her away, and persistently pushed past her embedded theology, which told her that her religious practice was inherently outside of being in right standing with God. This unnamed mulatto woman had to persistently push to get to Jesus And the church in the wild. We have to persistently push. So, once we've perceived the presence of Jesus, uh, persistently pushed to get to him, we can have faith in the promise that Jesus will deal with our possession. We have to have faith in the promise that Jesus will deal with our possession. Jesus' initial response to the Syrophoenician woman may seem a bit coarse or crass on first read, but after her persistence, he recognizes that her perception fueled her faith, so he annulled the assignment of her affliction. (laughs) Whoo! Her perception fueled her faith and he annulled the assignment of her affliction. His words were not only a promise but a pledge that this woman's daughter would be possessed no more. (laughs) (laughs) Some scholars say that he was testing the woman's faith or maybe he was quizzing his disciples when he says to her, it is not fair to take away the children's food and throw it to the dogs. These words sound a bit insulting. And quite possibly, this woman was insulted by Jesus. I'm sure though, her community has cast her out because of her demon-possessed daughter. Here's a woman on the margins. She's on the margins of life and in need of mercy and help. And this non-Jewish mulatto woman believed Jesus could offer her some assistance. At this point, I would bet she is thick-skinned, that the words of Jesus might have hit her in a different way had this been the first time she heard something like that. But I'm sure she was in a place that people had downed her, had criticized her, had talked bad about her, had put her down, had said, nah, Shorty, I ain't with you. Had said to her, "Mm mm-mm, you ain't my type. Mm Mm-mm, your daughter a mess. No, I can't deal with you. She had heard this type of thing before, But you got to understand that this is a mother with nothing else to lose. And at her wit's end, when she quips back to Jesus, I like it. You know this was a sister. Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't going to feed the dogs? She said, well, let me tell you. Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. She was time enough for Jesus. Let me tell you, this woman right here, she was a bad woman. Believe that. You see, Jesus, I need you to understand, I know who you are. I know what you're capable of and I need your help. My daughter needs your help. You see, Jesus, this thing is bigger than me. It's bigger than my daughter. She embodies hope and what lies within her is the ability to produce a future. What I know is that you can help that future be bright if you act now. If not, that demon will be reproduced in generations to come. She knew what she was talking about and she knew what she needed. And Jesus, if you act now, she will be able to see the miracle. She'll be able to see my faith. And it's that light that will be reproduced in generations to come. Jesus, help me. I can imagine that's what Jesus heard in her quick and clever reply. He couldn't help but take this opportunity to expand his mission of restoring the house of Israel and teaching his disciples how to take the gospel to all the nations. So he makes a promise to deal with her possession. Now can you imagine the walk home this woman had. She left home with her daughter being possessed. She must have tried everything to help her daughter. She may have tried sacrificing animals. She may have punished her daughter because she was acting crazy. She might have tried a drug treatment center or scared street. Uh, she may have put her daughter in the best schools or in a reformatory. She may have sent her uh, her daughter to the doctors or the psychologists. She may have tried any and everything we can think of under the sun, and none of it worked. She left home with her daughter still demon-possessed. The long walk home was most likely filled with vacillating thoughts of doubt and hope, dreams and nightmares deferment and possibility. But somewhere in her mind must have been some faith the size of a mustard seed that the promise of Jesus would be the realization of the end of the possession. Whatever it is that may possess your spirit cannot contend with the promise that the Savior places on your future. Whatever it is that may possess your spirit cannot contend with the promise that the Savior places on your future. I think there is a lesson here for the disciples to have learned. It's very possible Jesus was being insulting to this mother, but I'm not altogether convinced Even in his exhaustion from travel and possible attitude with the petty Hebrew elite, I'm not convinced that Jesus was being curt and rude to this Canaanite woman to make her out as less than one of God's creation. But if we skip to the next chapter, chapter 8, we see the same pattern of Jesus performing miracles being embroiled in controversy with the Hebrew elite, following uh, by him teaching the disciples. Only this time in chapter eight, one of his disciples, Peter's, Peter gets the revelation of who Jesus is. The Canaanite woman already knew, called him the son of David. And then in chapter eight, Peter gets it. It is a revelation to know who Jesus is. We know that Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to change your name and your name is going to be Peter and it's going to be on this rock, this foundational understanding of the revelation of who Jesus the Christ is that the church would be built. Peter calls him the Messiah, the son of the living God. Finally the disciples get it and Jesus says now that you got it I can build my church on this rock or as I interpret it I can build my church on the same revelation that the Canaanite woman had of who Jesus is and what can be accomplished through him by your faith it's a wild place out there and it's beckoning for the church those who are disciples of Jesus and who have a revelation of who Christ is to perform miracles on behalf of the people in the wild. You can perform miracles on people in the wild. It's not just Jesus 2,000 years ago in red letters in a book who perform miracles. It's everyday people like you and like me who have a revelation of who Jesus was and who Jesus is that can perform miracles today. Let me tell you what the wild looks like. The wild looks like a man being murdered in his home by a police officer who mistakenly thought it was her place. Let me tell you what the wild looks like. The wild looks like transgendered people being murdered just because they refuse, people refuse to understand or demonstrate love to all of God's creation. Let me tell you what the wild looks like. It looks like American elections being tampered with by foreign entities and one side of the political aisle not doing anything in their power to stop it. Let me tell you what the wild looks like. The wild looks like poverty. It looks like hunger, it looks like homelessness, it looks like rampant crime, like racism, like sexism, like homophobia, like police brutality, like tainted drinking water. It looks like sexual abuse in the church. It's wild out there when we have leaders who not only try to lead just for people who look like them, But it's wild out there when they only lead for special interests. It's wild out there when veterans who have PTSD are running in the streets and are murdered. It's wild out there. It's wild out there when an opioid academic is treated with better care than the crack epidemic because of where it hits and who it affects. It's wild out there when a church conference Promotes uh, an anti social justice agenda as if Jesus' ministry didn't care about justice in the community. It's wild out there when students will graduate college with an overwhelming amount of student debt and an underwhelming salary that they start their careers with. It's wild out there when it's more important to build a wall than it is to fix a bridge restore a community, or fix a school system. It's wild out there. There are still people in our communities who are not yet in church, but are waiting to demonstrate their faith every day, even through their struggles. This tells us that there are folks out there, similar to the Canaanite woman, who perceived the presence of the Lord, persistently pushed to get to Jesus, and believed in his promise over the possessed. So it becomes of paramount importance for the church, for Alfred Street to be in the wild like Jesus in the house of Gentiles, to let the people akin to this unnamed Syrophoenician mulatto woman, know that God not only resides in this sanctuary, but in the wild of the community. God can turn our chaos and calamity into calm and comfort. My God, if there is a church Let it be in the wild. Let the church be in the place where it's needed the most and where people need Jesus delivered to them. Thank God there is a church in the wild.